I'm Paul. I became a Christian uh, in Exodus Christian Fellowship through my wife and uh, through teaching and through falling asleep a lot during Roger Forster's sermons. And uh, I uh, really learned, when I became a Christian, I also became a missionary. And there was no difference, really, being, uh, between being a Christian and being a missionary. So, um, in fact, I felt called to mission before I'd even been a Christian. I felt God call me to mission and to serve around the world. And um, I, I've uh, lived... Uh, from that time, I went to work church planting with Ictus in, in Peckham, where I worked for about 10 years. Then worked 10 years in Pakistan amongst uh, Muslims, uh, work, uh, developing drug rehabilitation programs. So uh, taking our kids, Helen and I, taking our kids around the drug dens of Karachi. Uh, very, you know, very responsible parents. And uh, worked there for 10 years. Then I came back and worked um, in Britain with Church Mission Society, uh, developing emerging church initiatives around Britain. But then uh, more recently been involved in their international work. So... I'm the international director for CMS, and we work in about 40 countries uh, around the world, uh, sending people, receiving people, and uh, basically meeting the Bride of Christ, this incredible international family that we have. And I have to say, you know, the Bride is beautiful. Amazing. Thank you. I was going to actually just ask you a bit about um, the Church Mission Society, but is there what kind of... What sort of what else is the Church Mission Society doing, and what kind of what is your role in that? Just as a quick introduction as well. Um, I I basically uh, look busy uh, and get and, and do what my managers tell me to do basically. Uh, but we work in about forty countries. We uh, we're, we're working in quite challenging contexts. Uh, not all of them challenging, but many of them very challenging. Uh, we, we're basically committed to raising up people to respond to God's call. So we look for godly talent and try and allow it to dance around the world, to meet with our partners, to meet with different uh, people around the world. So whether that be in a, you know, nor- across North Africa, we're seeing a lot of people um, who are Muslim background believers who are now uh, becoming part of the leadership of the church, uh, responding to the challenge of North Africa. We're working in Asia. Um, with um, uh, new sort of emerging mission movements uh, with people that have uh, I I was with a group a few years ago in Nepal almost all of them were new Christians of this generation so all of them I I teach the Bible's big story and many of them had never heard the big story before this was the first generation of believers and I know one of the early church uh, fathers in Nepal of recent times called Bal Krishna and I said to Bal, I said, Bal, um, you know, what's happening in Nepal? He said, years ago, he said, uh, I used to know everybody in the church. I said, why is that? He said, we were all in prison together. He said, but now there's one or two million, we just can't count the number. Even though there's more persecution coming, perhaps, for the church in Nepal, um, we work with these people who are just taking this incredible risks, but are full of love and compassion to serve other people around the world. So we send people around the world, we receive people from around the world, uh, we support a lot of local partners uh, uh, around the world, you know, people who we see have got uh, the Spirit of Christ on them, uh, and we want to work with them because we want to learn from them as they seek to make Christ known in their own cultures. Um, and, and, and it's really, you know, it's, it, it's really a, a privilege to do my job. 
Uh, it's just an absolute privilege to see our family around the world. And to just see the, the way that Christ is being shown in very different ways around the world, but seeing, seeing um, the commitment that somehow in the Spirit, you, we speak the language of the Spirit. You know, when you meet people, just that language communicates. People from every tribe, nation, tongue confessing Jesus as Lord to the glory of God the Father. And, I, you know, I've been really lucky, actually. Yeah. I'd love to pray for you quickly. I mean, just in our notices, we had Hannah coming up, talking to us. We have our young people going out this summer. So this is something that, as a church, we mission is something that we uh, is close to our close to our hearts as a church. So let shall we just we'll just pray for Paul quickly as he speaks to us about mission. Um, Father God, just thank you so much that Paul is here today to talk to us about. Um, a, a topic that is so close to our hearts at the moment as Forest Hill Community Church and TNET. Um, we just pray that you will bless him this morning and that the message that you want him to to deliver, we will have the ears to hear as well, Lord. Um, and we just pray for Hannah, for our young people, and for um, others who are uh, taking part in mission, Lord, that this this will give us the, the language to be able to pray for them as well um, and that your protection will be over them um, in the future as they prepare for their travels as well. Amen. Thank you. I'm going to ask Nigel to come and uh, give the readings. Thanks, Paul. We're looking at uh, Barnabas today, and I've got to find my way around the message and pick up a few readings to give you a flavor of who he was. There's a man called Joseph. This is Acts chapter 4. And the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was a Levite born in Cyprus. He sold a field that he owned, brought the money, and made an offering of it to the apostles. And then Acts chapter 9. Back in Jerusalem, Barnabas tried, uh, Paul. Saul, Paul, tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They didn't trust him one bit. But then Barnabas took him under his wing. He introduced him to the apostles. He stood up for him, and he told them how Saul had seen and spoken to Jesus on the Damascus road, and how in Damascus itself he'd laid his life on the line with his bold preaching. In Jesus' name. After that, he was accepted as one of them, going in and out of Jerusalem with no questions asked, uninhibited as he preached in the Master's name. But then he ran afoul of a group called the Hellenists. He'd been engaged in a running argument with them, and they plotted to murder him. When his friends learned of the plot, they got him out of town, took him to Caesarea, and then shipped him off to Tarsus. And Acts chapter 11. When the church in Jerusalem got wind of this, uh, a revival breaking out in a new area, they sent Barnabas to Antioch to check things out. As soon as he arrived, he saw that God was behind, was behind and in it all. So Barnabas threw himself in with them. He got behind them. He urged them to stay with it for the rest of their lives. Barnabas was a good man that way, enthusiastic and confident in the Holy Spirit's ways. And the Christian community grew large and strong 
in the Lord. And then Acts chapter 13. The congregation in Antioch, that church was blessed and had a number of prophet preachers and teachers. There was Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius the Cyrenian, Manaean, an advisor to the ruler Herod, and Saul. One day as they were worshipping God, they were also fasting as they waited for guidance. And then the Holy Spirit spoke. Take Barnabas and Saul and commission them for the work I've called them to do. And then finally, Acts 14. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they went wild, calling out in their dialect, the gods have come down. These men are gods because of the healing they did. They called Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, since Paul did most of the speaking. Some things don't change. The priests of the local Zeus shrine got up a parade, bulls and banners and people lined right up to the gates, ready for the ritual of sacrifice. When Barnabas and Paul finally realized what was going on, they stopped them, waving their arms. They interrupted the parade, calling out, What do you think you're doing? We're not gods. We're men just like you. And we're here to bring you the message, to persuade you to abandon these silly God superstitions and embrace God himself, the living God. We don't make God. God makes us and all of this, the sky, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Amen. Barnabas is a great example. And... When you trace people through the Bible, you pick up glimpses. So I'm going to give you a few glimpses into why I think Barnabas is so exceptional and so uh, foundational for the church of uh, today. And um, we've, got the, we've got the background here. This is some of the verses, if you want them. Uh, they'll be, you'll have them afterwards. But just follow his life. Just read these glimpses into Barnabas's life. He is an astonishing uh, leader and uh, linked with many people. So I'm going to go over the next... Thir- have I got 30 minutes? All right. At 12 o'clock, you've got to say no more. Paul, no more. Okay, that's your responsibility. I'm very happy to stop then. Uh, I'm going to show you a video in a few minutes, which is uh, nearly seven minutes long. And I know a lot of people say you can't show videos longer than two minutes because people haven't got the attention. But I think you will have the attention for this uh, video. Um, Barnabas, uh, we, we get introduced to him right at the beginning when he gave a field. Now, you think, well, people share their resources. They give some money into the offering. That's fine. But actually, giving a field is like giving land. It's like giving your future inheritance. In many places where we work around the world, land is a key political issue. It's highly charged. It's about who's going to inherit the land. Who is going to get that land in the future? I've just been with uh, somebody who was telling me, Archbishop was saying that a lot of the grandchildren of people who have given land in Uganda are trying to claim it back now from the church and saying this is our land. It's not the church's land. The church took it. So there's lots of challenges around land. Land is about legacy, is about inheritance. You go to Israel-Palestine and you see the challenges around land. And of course, highly prized. So Barnabas, when he gave a field, he wasn't, oh, I've just got a little spare back garden I can give you. He was given part of his legacy, part of his inheritance. 
from what belongs to his family because he discovered he had a new family. He had the family of God. He had a new family that was emerging, which was an international family. And this family was worth investing in and it was worth giving to in order for this family to share their resources and for people to know, wow, this is the real family. And he gave the gift of land. A gift that goes on uh, forever. He was generous. And through generosity, he released a lot of the mission impulse of the church. He enabled people to be blessed. He enabled people to meet Christ in new ways. It releases people into mission. Without money, we can't release people into, into mission. We never, CMS as a principle, we put prayer first, we're led by the Spirit, we start small, we find people that have got it, and then we believe the resources will come. So we don't put money right at the front, but actually you do need resources in order to release people into mission. To go to Harare, meet Bishop Chad, he's great, I'll introduce you. And uh, you know, when you go around the world, you need some resources, you need some support from one another. So this generosity releases people and liberates people. I'm going to show you a video now about some generosity that happened with some old women. Whilst we just get the, um, the video on, just talk to somebody next to you and um, just share when somebody has been generous to you or you've been generous to somebody else and what's happened. Just share an act of generosity that maybe uh, put a smile on your face or somebody else's. It's a great story, isn't it? Are they sending missionaries to Wales? They're sending missionaries all over India and Nepal. I work with some of them and they're just utterly uh, zealous, fervent, compassionate, sending them and working in Sri Lanka with them. And uh, it's just really great to be part of these movements uh, around the world generosity and uh, as long as we have something to eat every day we have something to give to God wow isn't it great just the way that they've released so many people into mission around the world Barnabas was like that and um, Barnabas was not only generous he was uh, acted as a go-between we saw in the reading in Acts that he was the one that introduced Paul to the apostles because they were scared of him. You know, have you met people? There are some people I know who are a bit dodgy. And when they become Christians, they're still dodgy. <laughs> you still don't quite know how they're going to react at certain times. And Paul was like that. Paul breathed murderous threats. He was like a religious fundamentalist. He put people into prison. He brought down them. He was responsible for the death of many Christians. So how are you going to trust him? But it was Barnabas. Barnabas who went and got Paul and introduced him to the apostles and said, look, it's all right. You can work with him. And even when he introduced them to the disciples, uh, to the apostles in Jerusalem, he then had a falling out. He seemed to fail in mission when he had a, a running argument with some Hellenists in Acts chapter 9. So he went off almost, you know, as a failure and went back to Tarsus. But Barnabas 
he was uh, uh, again um, sent to go to the church in Antioch. He, they heard that these Gentiles, these non-Jews, were becoming followers of Jesus. And he wanted to say, what, what's going on here? Well, they, they've got to keep to the Jewish practice. They've got to keep Jewish. Remember, God's Jewish, isn't he? And we've got to keep that like that. So, but it was Barnabas he chose to go. I wonder if Barnabas was saying, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't judge people too quickly. Don't judge them. Let's find out. I wonder whether it's because Barnabas was advocating the cause of these non-Jews who were becoming followers of Jesus, that they sent him. All right, Barnabas, well, you go. You go and sort it out. You go and be the go-between. And uh, Barnabas went, and um, he went to the Antioch church. He went to see these Gentiles who were uh, becoming Christians. I mean, it's possible Paul uh, Barnabas was uh, from Cyprus. He had his uh, cousin, John Mark, uh, living in Jerusalem. They possibly had a Libyan connection. Um, and we need people that help other people to understand each other. We need go-betweens. People have rows all over the place, wars and fights. But you need Christians to be the go-between. To not judge people too quickly. To take, hold on, have you heard the other side? Do you see things from their perspective? Have you lived in their shoes? Do you know what really is happening? Let us be Christians who actually are go-betweens. Who are able to broker relationships. Who are able to forgive. Who are able to hear the other side. In a world uh, of of, uh, headlines now. Of Trump tweets and many other things. We need people that are go-betweens. Isn't our God the go-between God? Isn't Jesus that go-between person? And we need to follow him to be those go-betweens. Where there's rows and arguments at work, where people are so petty and obsessed with little things, let's be the go-between. Let's show people. Let's broker relationships. Barnabas was like that. And um, Barnabas, when he went to see God at work in Antioch, he said he saw the grace of God and rejoiced. I just love that, don't you? He saw the grace of God and rejoiced. He saw what God was doing. Because you've got to have eyes to see what God is doing, not just what humans are doing. Humans make a lot of noise. And there's some people that make a lot of noise really silently. Passive-aggressive. Soaking for days and ends. I'm not talking about my marriage, by the way. But people make a lot of noise by not saying anything. But Paul, uh, Barnabas, saw the grace of God. He, he saw what God was doing and he rejoiced. He saw God at work. And, and Barnabas could have gone like Ofsted to this group of uh, followers. And you know, Ofsted has been, you know, some of it's great, but some of it just destroys people. When, when you think you're going and they're just going to find out everything that's wrong with you, it really screws you up. It doesn't make you perform well. It just makes you nervous. And do all that filing you should have done years ago. But Paul did it. Barnabas didn't go like Ofsted. I had, a, I had a driving instructor once. I had a fight with him on the roundabout when we were driving the car. And he tried to get over the wheel. I said, get off us. And behind us was a police car. 
Well, that, I didn't get on with that driving instructor, as you might have guessed. <laughs> and uh, that was the last driving lesson I had with him, anyway. Uh, but, you know, he didn't really want me to pass. He was just telling me everything that was wrong. Then I got another driving instructor afterwards. And I felt as though he wanted me to pass. And I got on much better with him. Paul Barnabas saw the grace of God and rejoiced. In a book, Pies and Prejudice, I don't know whether you've seen it, have you? In Search of the North, Stuart McConey writes, uh, Marx uh, did his, uh, wrote Das Capital in the library uh, of a Manchester uh, building. And uh, Stuart McConey in Pies and Prejudice in Search of the North, if you really want to understand Northerners, you've got to read that, Pies and Prejudice. You know, I'm not saying there's a North-South divide, but there is. <laughs> and he said, if there was no Manchester, there'd be no Soviet Union. And I want to say, if there was no Barnabas, there'd be no international church like we've got today. In that same vein, Barnabas was astonishingly able to bring about the grace that was needed and the encouragement that was needed to build the international uh, community that God wanted. And he was able to endorse what God was doing. And God is still doing incredible things. We have not yet seen what discipleship looks like for a lot of the church. When they come from Hindu and Muslim backgrounds, we do not yet know how they will be discipled. But many of them will not want to be discipled as Christians because they see it as a corrupt West. But they do want to follow Jesus and they want to know how to follow Jesus. But they don't want to take that Western Christian tag with them. But they do want Jesus. The face of discipleship will radically change over the next 20 to 30 years. And I'm glad. When I see my brothers and sisters around the world and what they're doing, I think, wow, I never have understood it that way. Great. Let's go that way. Let's follow them. It's going to be a very interesting ride. But the West has had its day. And that's all right. Because we can rediscover who Jesus is in this context in a new way. Paul, uh, Barnabas was also a guide to Paul and John Mark. Barnabas came alongside Paul when he failed in Jerusalem, it, when he saw the church growing in Antioch and all these people becoming Christians, he was thinking, we need, we need to get some teaching in these people. All over the world today where, where the church is growing rapidly, the big challenge is, can you teach us? Can you teach us? Can you send us more uh, people to teach us the scriptures? Can you show us how to, how to be Christian? And there's a massive demand. All over uh, South Sudan, many people have become Christians. Many of them are not educated. There's been no school for about 30 years in many parts of South Sudan. But many of them have come to Christ. But how do you teach and train them? Barnabas saw this and he went to get Paul from Tarsus and pulled him out of his, uh, out of his obscurity, as it were, and brought him to help teach and educate the church. We're very privileged here to have so much teaching. But do we share it? Do we pass it on? And Barnabas went to get Paul and became a mentor to Paul and gave him a second chance. I, I, I needed a, a lot of chances, really. <laughs> Still do. So I, I work on the principle, it's always best to ask forgiveness than permission. But you, but you know... We need people. We need to be able to help people navigate Christian life. When I first became a Christian at Ichthus, 
I have to be honest, I did not know whether they were trying to convert me to Christ or make me middle class. Amen. You know? And I, honestly, I, I couldn't work it out. I thought, well, why do I don't like I mean, I'm middle class by income, I'm middle class by education, but I'm working class by preference. I quite like being working class. But we have to help people sort of navigate those sorts of things so that we actually work on the real things. And I'm really grateful to uh, you guys and many others that have helped me over the years to help navigate that Christian life. And Barnabas was there helping Paul and, and mentoring him. And uh, he saw his potential. He saw the potential of John Mark, his cousin, and worked with him as well. He could have done it himself, but he was a team player. He wanted to get others involved. Who are you entering? Who are you helping? Who are you seeking a bit of direction from? You know, for years, not having a spiritual director, uh, you know, you wobble around. But it's good to get people to help you. Who will speak truth into your life. And who you can help others. Adopt people. Mentor people. Bring them on. Barnabas was wanting to be a guide to, uh, to uh, Paul and to John Mark. And he invested in them. He gave them time. But also, it was Paul and Barnabas who were sent out. They were first sent missionaries uh, to go and share that story elsewhere. Antioch became a center of mission for five centuries. It was a powerhouse to, to send out to the rest of the world. And Forest Hill has been a bit of a powerhouse for mission. It sent missionaries all over the world. You've supported them, you've prayed for them, you've sent them, you've been yourself, you've come back, you go again. You know, this is a little Antioch around here, and it's good for you to actually enjoy it. Because you can bless the nations through what you do. And um, you see, Barnabas went with Paul. And in, in Acts 13 verse 2, it says, Barnabas and Paul, and they took John Mark uh, with them. And it's Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. Then all of a sudden, it changes to Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. Paul became then the leader. He went on to develop the work. And Barnabas was not afraid to see people go beyond him. In fact, that's the desire, isn't it? For our children, for our friends to go beyond us. We're not really interested in platforms. Pavements are much more safe places. You can fall off platforms. But walk the pavements. We want people to go beyond us. We want people to serve and to move forward and to show us then what, um, you know, what I love about technology is the older people have to say to the young ones, how do you do this then? How do you do that? And we've got to be like that spiritually as well. Let's, let's create that space that Paul had uh, for people. And he and um, Paul went and developed uh, the Gentile mission. They risked their lives, it says in Acts 14. They risk their lives for the gospel. You know, I've just been in South Sudan last week, and um, I interviewed somebody who's just become a bishop in a diocese, and uh, we got on really well. And, and this man used to risk his life for the gospel. 
He served in Sudan. He went around sharing the gospel all over Sudan. He served in Khartoum. He was displaced in a refugee camp and he became a pastor as a refugee pastor to refugees. And he shared the gospel with them. Spent time there, 10 years, then moved to uh, another place in South Sudan and served there. And, um, you know, really spent a whole life like that in mission. And um, we're going to work together in, um, in his state. But I was, I was with him one day. I was interviewing him one day. The next day he was being shot at and he had his car jacked uh, on Friday uh, on his way back from Juba. Uh, I was with a man in Juba, 42, he, he said to me, I've been there 42 years, I just met him in the compound, he was a priest, and he, he had one of these really tired, really tired vicar's shirts on. It looked as though it was part of his skin. It was that old and worn. And I said, you're 42 years as a priest? He said, yeah. He said, hey, how did you survive during all the wars and everything? He said, we had to. He said, we used to walk and share the gospel. I said, well, I'm going to Maridi. Uh, tomorrow. He said, oh yes. He said, uh, I was flying to Maridi on the United Nations, one of these world famine planes. And uh, I'm going to fly there. He said, oh yeah, we used to walk. I said, what do you mean you used to walk? He said, we used to walk to Maridi and further to share the gospel. 300 kilometers we used to walk in days. I said, weren't you scared of all the soldiers and being shot and everything? He said, if you let fear get hold of you, the fear will kill you before the bullets do. He said, we walked with the Lord and we walked through the fields and we shared the gospel. 42 years. There's that man. I'm thinking, oh, teach me. Just met him just like that. Still vibrant and alive. And he learnt, he can speak five languages and uh, he learnt Greek and Hebrew and uh, he's, he's there to resource the church for the future. Still alive and active. He risked his life for the gospel. I was with a friend uh, visiting from CMS who works in, in Meridian, South Sudan. And uh, when, when the war broke out, all the foreigners left, but she wouldn't leave. She's from Liverpool, well, you know. And I'm not going. She said, I, I've come here to be with these people and I'll die with them if I have to. And from that moment on, this woman who'd suffered domestic abuse who'd uh, been a single parent for years and years and years, had had going hiding in, in uh, women's refuges. This woman, who's now serving in South Sudan, uh, just lives her life for Christ amongst these people. These people said, she's one of us. She's African. Because when she did not leave, they said, she's us. She's one of us. She's become part of the family. You see, Christ shared his life with us. God so loved the world that he didn't send a financial package. God so loved the world that he sent his son to share his life with us. And as we share our lives, as we risk our lives for the gospel, just share our lives with others, so uh, the gospel is proclaimed. And um, Barnabas was key to that. And Barnabas had gravitas. He was able to deal with controversies. The controversy between whether uh, these Christians should follow Jewish practices like circumcision in order for them to be accepted. And it was Barnabas who was at the head of this uh, reconciliation and this resolution for how do we solve this problem between these two different groups of Christians. 
who have got different experiences, different cultures, different expectations. How do we handle that? And it was Barnabas who was reconciling the church in Jerusalem with the Antioch church. And they had the first synod. And they agreed that they would, all of them, keep the apostles' teaching. So everything that there in the apostles and the prophets that's written, they were going to keep that. But how do you actually encourage people to become Christians? You don't push your culture higher and higher. You don't say, the way we do things is the way you should do them. This is how we do things here, and you need to do them like us. They had a low cultural threshold. There was, it wasn't culturally difficult to become a Christian. What a lesson for mission today. For people that come from very, very different religions, very, very different worldviews, how low can the cultural threshold be so that they can follow Christ in their own culture, in their own ways? And so uh, they, they had this very low cultural threshold, and the church grew and developed. And Barnabas was able to have that authority in the early church. And he wavered one day, uh, it says it in Galatians, Paul went to Jerusalem and said, look, we don't need this. We really don't need the Gentiles to become Jews. And uh, Barnabas was siding with Peter at one time. And Paul said, even Barnabas, even Barnabas was led astray. So Barnabas occasionally bowed to the pressure of others. But ultimately, he was the one that really helped the church navigate this major uh, division. But you know, um, they, got the, they, did, they got the principles, they got their practices right, but personalities sometimes can be difficult. You see, Paul and Barnabas went on, on, on mission together, and John Mark went with them, but uh, John Mark left them. And uh, Paul thought that John, uh, John Mark had left them, and so betrayed them, you know, a wimp, you know, bit of a mission wimp. And he went off, but you know... Barnabas and John Mark, that's his cousin. So Barnabas is sort of siding with his family. And uh, so he had to navigate this situation with Paul, who was right. And it's very interesting that people often fall out, personalities often fall out. Different sorts of personalities or different issues. I was in a, in a church in Romania in, uh, in December and the, church, the family ran the church. Some of the, the, the children were leading the choir. So we're all involved in mission. But, but actually, you have to, every church has to navigate families. The early church, the first 12 disciples, there were families there. Do you remember? James and John? They, they were called sons of thunder. <laughs> Did they have the camels have stripes or something? I don't know. But who were they, these sons of thunder? Not, not the nicest of people, you know. They, they, we want to sit on your right hand and your left hand. Yeah. Top dog, we, we're, we're going to get there. James and John. And, and Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. But you will drink the cup that I drink. So how do they navigate this? You've got a, you know, Barnabas and uh, Paul, you know, they were humans. They, 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 you know, some things don't work out in mission. They went off to Cyprus uh, others went off, Paul, uh, Paul and Silas went off to uh, Pamphylia. So they went off and they w- worked in different areas of the world serving, the, serving. And that's often been like that with mission agencies. They actually divide the world up in different ways. But you know, um, what's very interesting is that when Paul was dying, who did he want? 
He wanted John Mark. He wanted John Mark to come and visit him. And so he did. I wonder why it was John Mark. Send me John Mark. Did it remind him of Barnabas, his mentor? Did the spirit of Barnabas live in John Mark? Did somehow he wanted that real unity? You know, when you work in mission together, you're really bonded together. You really become family. When you risk your lives together, when you do things together that are sacrificial, you go deep. You go deep in your relationships. It's not about a box of chocolates. No, it's not about a box of chocolates. Life's about taking risks together for the sake of the gospel. And you go deep in your relationships. And all the trivial things just pass away. And he wanted John Mark. But you know, when Peter was near the end of his life, (laughs) guess who he wanted? John Mark. And John Mark was there at the end of the life of Peter and the end of the life of Paul. John Mark was, in some ways, I think, inherited Barnabas' desire for unity within the church for that purpose for people to know that actually see the real important things in life. See what God is doing. Barnabas has left a tremendous legacy. He was foundational to the early church. He was an astonishing leader. Read his life. And I would take you this challenge. If this has meant anything's meant anything this morning from what I've said, go and read those verses on Barnabas and say what two things will you do differently as a result of the life of Barnabas. Somebody said to me last night at the party that Nigel uh, threw, he said, uh, I hope you're going to tell people tomorrow that Nigel's a bit of a Barnabas. I said, oh, no, I won't. (laughs) But he's always there, isn't he? Nigel's always been there. Affirmative, encouraging, helping people. A go-between. And I like that, really. I think, I think Nigel is. Like Barnabas. So you're lucky. And you know it. Let's pray. Lord, as we reflect on the life of Barnabas, we just pray that you will help us to be people who are generous. Who see and invest in your international family. To be a go-between between people, to be prepared to hear the other side of a story, not to jump to conclusions. We pray that you'll help us to be people who see the grace of God, to see your hand at work in situations. Pray that you help us to be a guide, a mentor to others, and to receive guidance from others. Pray that you help us to risk our lives for the gospel on behalf of others, to give our lives away like Barnabas gave his life away to serve others. And when things get bad and when we mess up and when we just have rows with people, pray that those things would be resolved. And we'd be able to live with difference because we live for your purpose. Lord, I pray that you'll bless us today, that your Holy Spirit would just speak to each one of us in different ways, that we would hear your Spirit speak 
and act differently as a result of the life of Barnabas, who was so foundational, Lord, to the early church. We thank you for these people who walk pavements rather than platforms.